Welcome to SAS Talk with Kim, your sustainability action series podcast highlighting how local governments are leading the way toward a more sustainable future. I'm your host, Kim Lundgren. I've spent the last 16 years working for and with local governments to help them create resilient, inclusive, thriving communities. I started this podcast series to connect you with the key people on the ground putting sustainability into action in their communities. Welcome to the SAS Talk with Kim podcast. This is your sustainability action series highlighting local government actions on the ground to address climate change. We are kicking off a new year here at SAS Talk and really excited to have a good friend and former colleague here with us. We have Dallas Scott. Dallas and I have known each other for, I think it's almost 10 years now, Dallas. And uh, of course, I can 100% vouch for your organizational design, change management, and design thinking skills. In fact, it was something that had always impressed me of like being able to think about sustainability work from the behavioral science side and how to organize people because people are key. You know, I came from the scientific side and the details there. And so I think it's really interesting that we both ended up at Tufts uh, Urban and Environmental Policy and Planning Program at different times, of course, but um, just the interesting connection there that um, I think UEP is really good about doing. That's the acronym for our program of like bringing the people and the science together to really focus on creating sustainable and just communities. So I'm super thrilled to have you here today, Dallas. You know, of course, the work that KLA does and the works that our local government clients are doing on the ground around climate change and sustainability has to involve working with their stakeholders, working with their community. And we want to encourage that more and more. And so meeting facilitation, uh, community event facilitation is such a huge component of this work. And I've said it before that I feel that it's a completely underrated skill set. I think a lot of folks think if you are smart, if you know the work, you know the content, that somehow that means you can facilitate a group of people to get to a decision on something or to move something forward or to educate. Um, so really want to dive right in here on this facilitation topic and, and just hear from you, like, what is it? Why are people undervaluing facilitation and how can we help them think about it differently? Oh, yay. Yeah, thanks. I'm like, but I'm ready. Let's do this. Um, but first, I want to say, Kim, thank you so much for having me on. And also, I've also when we worked together was like, Oh, Kim, she's fantastic. And so it feels really nice to know that you felt the same way. <laughs> um, yeah, I think when it comes to facilitation, especially when people think about needing to bring stakeholders together, there's a couple of things that come up. One is, I think people fundamentally can misunderstand what it means to facilitate a meeting. I see a lot of people who maybe lead meetings or run a meeting or chair a, a team, but they are not going through a structured process of really guiding people through a decision-making process or even through a discussion really that is um, tapping the insights and knowledge of the full group to really get that collective wisdom. Um, and I think a lot of people aren't playing this role of a facilitator um, mostly because it's the thing that in social situations makes us really uncomfortable, right? Like, um, you know, having someone like redirecting someone's conversation because we're going too long in a certain direction, um, creating, 
you know, an activity or structure uh, to help people think through a process more thoroughly. I think somewhere around fourth or fifth grade, people are stop interacting in that way. And they're like, I can't, I can't create activities for them. That's, that's like beyond, um, these are senior level people. And so we just end up in a place where the only thing in our, in our toolbox is just what we've seen for so many years, which often is what I call single file line meetings. Everyone's in the same room. You just sort of hope that people address important issues in front of a big forum and, and that's all you get. Um, I also feel that there is sort of a negative connotation that comes along with engagement of your of of stakeholders. It is becoming something that people are just like, I have to do it. So I'm just gonna rip a band-aid off. And I don't think we've given them the tools for them to really appreciate how valuable stakeholder insights are, even the super noisy. I have a lot to say, um, individuals and behaviors that show up, um, we can actually get a whole lot more out of our final product if we create the space, not just as a, a box that we check, but as something that we really believe in. You know, that's such a great point. And it reminds me of like, my husband is in sales training. And one of the things he talks about all the time is like, it, it's starting to change now, but for the longest time, there's no university or college that has sales as a major. And I even think about facilitation and, and you may have had different experience, but I don't remember a facilitation course. I know we all had to do like presentations, uh, like public speaking, but no course in college or, you know, or any advanced degree that has something around facilitation and it is such a unique skill set to your point like why do you suppose that is i think we miss the opportunity to it's i think it's it is sort of the facilitation skill set but i also think it is a in many ways i think people consider it a softer skill set um and so if you can't if you can't easily measure your success. Like I think about the things we put on resumes, like must be able to know Excel, must be able to do these things. Cause it's something that we can point to and say, must have this specific knowledge base. But I think so much of what we look for in a, an employee is their ability to sort of read the room, have some emotional intelligence, recognize um, how and where conversations are going. And yeah, I think we just dropped the ball on that in general, like kindergarten, we cover it in kindergarten, right? <laughs> yeah. That's like, we, we really think about, ooh, look at that person's face, like taking the toy away wasn't like, and they're like, oh, okay, we're teaching it. But I see it in the workplace all the time where there is just not the like, ooh, look at that person's face. I think they really wanted to share something, but you cut them off. Like there's where, where do we have that? And so I think this is when, um, for me, I had a psychology, a background. And so I was really curious about sort of how people are interacting with their world. And I also found myself in meetings being like, this doesn't feel good. Like I'm preparing for it. I feel like I'm doing all the right things, but I feel like every time I'm running a meeting, because at the time I was running a meeting and not facilitating it, I just felt like it was a performance. Mm -hmm. Everyone was sort of watching me. Yes. I would be like, these are my updates. And they'd all like kind of look and then slowly looked at their phones. And I was like, I just, what is going on here? Um, so I needed to level up. I was like, there's gotta be more out there. 
And once I took sort of a robust facilitation training, it, the, my two worlds of sustainability um, and the work I'm doing and my psychology background and the need for facilitation, just like, it was this like, I get it. Oh my, they're, they're the same thing. And that, that was really exciting for me to recognize and then realize we all need to have more of this skill set. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, that kind of brings up a good question of like, you know, if somebody wants to hire a facilitator or even wants to improve their skills in that regard, like what are those, you know, what would be the top three skill sets that jump out for you that are really valuable to bring, you know, robust facilitation to a situation? Yeah. So that's a really good question. When I think because there's a lot of facilitators out there that I like observe and watch. And I think whether it's intentional or not, I find that they have a deeper understanding of organizational change and individual behaviors. And they, they might not have a background in psychology like myself, but they might just intuit and have figured out like there's a bigger picture here and that's our end goal. It's not this one meeting. This one meeting is just own piece of it. Um, and with that, I think, because if you have a solid foundation, like I am looking at this through this lens of, you know, organizational change, I feel like you're more confident in your meetings to know when you can pivot. Um, I think when I, I have one of my first um, opportunities to observe a professional facilitator, I don't think this, this person had sort of a, her own foundation. So she kind of just like went forward with an activity and a process that was not working. Mm. That was like really confusing to the group. And she's like, I wrote it down. We're doing this. Right. So she wasn't able to pivot and read the room and redirect and see like big picture. This activity worked on paper. It's not working for this group. Let's, let's see what else we can do. Um, and then I think the last piece that I want people to know is I like it when a facilitator can show their work, like that they have a deep understanding of their process. They, if I ask for a rationale, like, why are we doing it this way? They're not gonna be like, cause I read it somewhere. They're gonna say, <laughs> well, my goal here is to pull out this type of um, meeting behavior. And we really wanna hear from everyone and this activity is gonna bring them in and, or, you know, we're talking about a really technical subject. So I'm going to break it down in these smaller parts. Like they need to very clearly understand their process and rationale while, and this is like a, my own personal learning outcome, not oversharing <laughs> their process and, and overview. Cause I've, the other misstep I've seen is a facilitator comes in and like, instead of being like, here's the cookie I baked for the group today. Um, they're like, so first I'm going to mix the eggs and then I'm going to do this. I'm going to put the flour in and the sugar and then we're going to put it. And everyone is just like, I don't just give me a cookie. <laughs> um, but you need to, if someone says, Hey, are there nuts in here? <laughs> you have to be like, Oh yeah, here, let me show you the ingredients. For this. So in a meeting, um, so often people go with the flow. They trust my process, but every once in a while, there's like, wait a second, why are we doing this? And I can say, here's my process. Here's my rationale. And I think that, just builds confidence for you as a facilitator and people can see that, but it also builds the trust of your team that are like, they look at you and like, oh, you've thought this through. I love the cookie analogy. I think that's something that really helps um, explain and help people kind of visualize this bigger piece. Cause I think too many folks go into a meeting or a workshop 
And they're like, well, here's my agenda and here is my presentation. And I have meeting objectives on this agenda. So there you go. Like we are good to go. That's that. But I think your point of, you know, it really is essential to have this process and something that, and I know you're very good about evaluating that process and seeing what's working and what's not. And so, you know, I think there's, there's the pieces of being a good facilitator. You can have bad facilitators. I think we've all experienced like your example, like this is not going well. Um, But one of the things that I find so interesting um, for facilitation is, is being able to um, work with different types of people and recognize that you always have the super quiet types that don't say anything. And then you have the folks that just feel the need to dominate the conversation all the time. And, um, you know, I think you refer to them as maybe meeting personality trait types or something, but, you know, talk a little bit about how do you work through that and, and think about those kinds of challenges? Cause I think that's probably one of the most common ones coming into a facilitation. I'm really glad you mentioned this and I'm glad you said personalities because it gives me an opportunity to say, I call them meeting behaviors Um, because in sort of the psychology field, personality is sort of like who you are, right? There's not a lot of changing that. Maybe like very slowly over years of time, your personality can change where behavior is like, this is how I'm showing up today. Mm. And I think also people recognize that behaviors um, are often uh, created from the day based on the environment, right? So um, when I think about behaviors within meetings, it, it has, it, what it did was take the responsibility off of all the individuals in my meeting to like, you guys all better act good today so we can have a good outcome. Like all 12 or 14 or 60 of you, right? Like that's just really tricky. And it made me realize that Everyone is showing up today with a specific behavior. This behavior um, can be someone who is sharing a whole lot of stories today um, because they woke up in a good mood. And also maybe their background is in drama, right? So they have practice in being in front of a crowd. (laughs) Or maybe like someone who often is really verbose in meetings, just like something happened in their life today and they're just withdrawn. And even though they, they actually have a lot of good ideas, it would take too much emotional energy to like, say it in front of the crowd because mm. like I know when I'm feeling a little tender I'm like I don't want to put anything out there I can't handle someone giving me stink eye right now if they disagree <laughs> with me so I think you know when we are curious and we see everyone as like just showing up with whatever they have today then I am able again with this adaptiveness to say oh this is a quieter group so this my activities are going to probably be more on the one-on-one conversation side, um, giving more space for people to write out their ideas and recognizing that talking in a meeting isn't the only way for contribution. And I think that is really helpful. It also um, helps me recognize that meeting behaviors can also be based on cultural backgrounds um, and recognize often sort of white, privileged, often men, have been trained to speak out in meetings and they love single file meetings and they um in like as a collective right we we're all um can be different as individuals but when when i can recognize that that actually is also a strength but not at the cost for the full group so how can i balance out my meetings where someone who's has a behavior being maybe a little bit more 
you know, in a writing mode today, I could partner them with someone who's like really wants to speak out. And when, when the report out comes and I have people, an opportunity where you do want to hear from everyone, these people have, who might have a strength or a behavior in that meeting to um, share robustly with the group is reporting out everyone's ideas and not just their own. So I mm. think um, get curious when you have your meeting behaviors and really start thinking, if this is the dynamics that are showing up, what activities, what processes can I do to really um, allow all those behaviors to actually be an asset and not something that causes you headaches? I'm glad you mentioned um, like the cultural piece and really understanding that, of course, you know, in climate work and, and certainly everything we do, and I know you as well, like inclusivity is key. We really want to get to equitable engagement efforts to the point of really being able to respect and do it in a way that um, is culturally uh, appropriate. Um, what would be some of the tools in your toolbox to ensure in a, in a successful, inclusive meeting? Yes. So I think one of the best toolbox that you can do is to educate yourself about um, the dominant culture and be able to be, you, for you to be able to see what the dominant culture is in general and recognize that that is just one way that just happens to be dominant. It's not the right way. It's just, it's just what we see a lot of. And I think, for, so for me, um, I sort of had this recognition and dove headfirst into diversity, equity, and inclusion documents and readings and books and podcasts because um, I was recognizing that how I showed up as a facilitator for many strategic plans, right, that are seven to 10 years long, I might just be um, advancing the dominant culture's ideas and thoughts in that because I, I didn't slow down. So I think the number one thing that people can do is just diversify your insight from everyone you follow on Instagram to really amazing authors and books out there to give you a different perspective and understand that more. And from that, I think what I was able to appreciate is, and this kind of goes hand in hand with understanding meeting behaviors, but um, you know, we have people who are showing up that English is their second language. They might be able to code switch really well, and we don't always know that, but processing, con you know, whatever content might take a little while. And just that simple act of, hey, take a moment and write it down first can, can level out a lot of people's idea generation activities. So I like to be really aware that there's people who are have this deep insight and understanding and without giving them that opportunity to like grasp that um, we're going to miss out. It also advantages people who are potential over talking behaviors because um, I found they have a tendency to be really comfortable just speaking their ideas out loud. Um, and this is a neurodiversity piece also, right? So people get a lot of can be frustrated with someone who overshares and just keeps talking and keeps talking. But I think some people just don't have the, the little meter being like, I think I'm oversharing. <laughs> um, and I think that's a, could be a neurodiversity piece. Um, I know a lot of adults that have ADD, like they might have like a tendency to like share one story to the next to the next because it all makes sense in their head. And so it is actually advantageous for them to be asked to write down in this succinct way um, 
what their thoughts are as well. Sometimes I think we only think about under-talking behaviors, but this can also um, support people over-talking that might have some neurodiversity pieces in, in the mix. That's such, you know, it's so important to think about all those things. And, and I love these tools and just getting folks to take that extra step, preparing for a meeting. As we were saying, it's far more than writing your agenda and your objectives in the activities. It's really understanding who are you going into and while you may not know every single person that's coming in, you do know what community you in, you're in and you do know what the topic is. <laughs> so there are some things. Some and you might, you, you might not as if you're, if you're a external facilita facilitator coming in, you might not know, but your client does or the people you're working with. So like do the homework, talk to yes, them. Ask um, them. You might just have people show up and you don't know who they're, who is showing up. But if, if people are coming in advance and you could do a survey, you could ask, do you have any um, accessibility needs that would help you engage better in our meeting? And they, you can ask, right? Um, in a way, and that, that's an advantage as well. So you've talked about um, different kind of skill sets and tools that you can use. And you, you've mentioned too, like the different kind of medium, different ways that folks can share information. And I know, and I'm pretty sure I, I must've learned this from you in a facilitation we did together. It's like, you have to kind of really recognize that everyone's there with good intention. They're sharing yeah. typically with good intention. They came, they're, they're showed up, they wanna participate but we just have to make the playing field a little bit more even. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm glad that you said that. And I think um, one of the things that I mention a lot in my facilitation trainings is the need for visual management. Um, and visual management is kind of what you think it would be. It's something that people all collectively can visual, visually see that can direct the conversation, to help manage the conversation. So in the case that you you're mentioning, Kim, like maybe you're in a in an in-person meeting um, and someone is like has has a really good idea, but not necessarily has the tools to make it succinct. So, you know, if I'm writing, charting it down and everyone sees that I'm taking notes or my co-facilitator is taking notes, I can pause and be like, "Ooh, we have to put that in a bullet point. <laughs> How would you put that in a bullet point? And then they have to pause and say, these are the things I'm trying to say. So that's really helpful. It can also, you know, when people are repeating themselves over and over again, obviously there's something important that they really want to make sure is captured. And if I don't give them the signal that I heard this, um, there can be this kind of worry stone that people have. Like, I don't think they got it. So I can actually call it out and say, I put this bullet point on, and it's a visual, right? So they can read it. Is this what you meant? by that and they might be like that's not what I meant and I'd be like "Ooh, cool awesome help me edit it so because I your idea is important and I want to make sure we capture it so it really can can support some of the the tendencies for us to repeat ourselves a lot um this can be used on zoom right you can you can share oh, a google point. doc and you can type like I will highlight the phrase. I was like, is this the thing that you want to check? And they'll say yes. And, and then another tool that I use that's always visible in my meetings is I have core values. So one of my core values that I bring at the start of the meeting for the group and how we're going to participate is full participation and collective wisdom and hearing from everybody. So I'll say, amazing. Thank you. I'm glad I captured it correctly. You're welcome to edit if I miss it. You have access to this document. Um, but I also, we have our core values to hear from everybody. So let me see who I've missed and it can just give space. 
Yeah. The other amazing thing about shared online documents is I can say, if you're not feeling chatty today, that's okay. Um, I have a space for, for you to add your comments via text or add it to the chat. So it really, you can give that visual space for people to interact with you. In a meeting, um, Kim, like in person, you can just always have sticky notes on the table. If you have an idea, stick it, put it on the edge of the table, I'll come and pick it up. It, it allows for, you know, someone's good idea. That, like people are talking, you're like, oh, that reminds me of something. And instead of just raising your hand being like, I hope they call on me and no longer listening to the other person, they can write it down and like refocus on, on the conversation at hand. That's great. I love that you call it core values. I know in the past I've seen folks call it kind of ground rules and things like that, but that almost feels like stick. Like yeah. this is how it's going to be. Woo-hoo, we're doing right. this. Like I think core values really brings like, hey, we're again, we're respecting everyone. We're valuing everyone's opinion. But some people just need to process longer than others. Um, and then and typically, you know, those people, when they do say something, it's something so unbelievably amazing. You're like, oh my gosh, I wish you would speak more. But because they really take the time to process. When I had a team in my other organization, I joked that I am a great facilitator of meetings. I am a really challenging person to facilitate. Um, and that. so I, my team, <laughs> I would just like, just keep on chat. And then I was like, you need to facilitate me. I am very interested and excited in this topic. And I'm trying to be self-aware, but I lose track of time. This is where the art comes in, I think, of facilitation. Because I, I have seen people kind of follow the, the guideline of like, we only have so much time, we need to wrap this up. But I, one, <laughs> I used to listen to a lot of WBUR when I was commuting more, um, now that I work from home um, mostly, but I am totally impressed with NPR um, correspondence when they're like taking in calls and someone calls in super enthusiastically, but they really should only have 30 seconds. And if you wanna know how to gracefully cut someone off and move on to the next topic, just like hone in on that. Listen to uh, Meghna Chakrabarty Chakrabarty, um, on WBUR NPR station. And she will say like, all right, so thank you for your contribution. I'm hearing these three things. I'm going to take our next caller. And it's just, she's <laughs> smiling. You can like feel her warmth, mm -hmm. but she very clearly said, your time is up. And I think in meetings, I find either the facilitator just has this like deer in the headlights look, like knowing that the person is over speaking, but like uh, you, they just can't get a word in. Um, or I've seen this like, we're done here. And no one likes that feeling. Right. So I have learned to use everywhere from body language to just like kind of almost picking up where their conversation, like where their, their, their thought process is going and saying like, oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Thank you so much. I'm just going to bring this to our group and also our core values, right? To be able to use my body to get closer or put my hand near them and like not a stop, but like a, like a gentle way. And say, yeah. I'm just going to really encourage us to to get to everyone because your ideas are really important. And also, I know my job is to make sure everyone's ideas are on the table. Mm, that's an interesting point. And man, I know we could just talk for hours and hours about this. Um, I really want to come back to just quickly and just bring full circle because I'm always saying this to my team: like, pivot. If it's not working, you got to pivot. You got to pivot. You got to pivot. And I'd love your thoughts on like this idea of like it's a constant learning process. There's new things to think about, like pivoting is a huge thing, but you're pivoting maybe for different reasons. Now we're in a post COVID world. Like, 
Can you talk just a little bit about that reality of this being like a lifelong learning journey? Yeah. Oh, it's so true, Kim. I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. I feel like in life in general, it, the second you're like, done, did it, you know, <laughs> expert, thank you. It's like, um, I, I not only like love reading this type of work, um, everything from like neurodiversity to change management to whatever I find, um, brains to be fascinating and people to be fascinating. So like that constant learning is important. But if you're able and willing, it's more of the willing side, you can learn so much from the people who participate in your meetings because they know what it felt like to be in your meetings. Mm. They know whether they felt unheard. They know they like their body is feeling either included or not included, heard or unheard. And often people are like, I just feel like my meetings are just horrible. And I was like, have you ever asked for feedback? And they're like, no. <laughs> so just like a standard part of my meeting facilitation, and I let people know at the very beginning that I'm going to ask for feedback at the end. And they can give me feedback everywhere from the temperature of the room to my cadence of speaking. And people are much more likely to give you feedback on like, I didn't like the taste of the coffee there, <laughs> but they really hesitate to give you feedback yes. on how you're showing up as a facilitator. Um, and those are the things that you need the feedback with. So, so I often prepare myself to be self-aware of recognizing where I overstepped or like, like I'll, sh I'll share an improvement being like, I gave you an activity that was way complicated to, to I, like how I was describing it. I gave, give myself a C minus. Like it was just, I could have made it easier for you. And I'm going to write that as an improvable. And I like give them the green light to be like, oh, I can also tell her that she was talking too fast or you know, whatever it is, but I have been able to grow and adapt and learn and kind of hone in the skill set because every meeting I know that there's an opportunity for me to learn. And so it allowed me to just grow and be more empathetic and more understanding. So I highly recommend asking for feedback. I use, I ask for strengths and improvables so people can also share what they did like, what worked for them. And so I, the things that I get a lot of feedback on that is working, I bring those back to meetings. And the ones that need improvable, I take it back to the shop, kind of tinker around with it and, and bring it back and see if I've improved. Amazing. And I know that we had that in our session with you too. And you're right, just the way you you frame it, it it makes, I think, more people feel comfortable. And But you also have to feel comfortable. People don't always feel comfortable getting some negative feedback. It can hurt. It, I think it's it's a practice that's learned. But Certainly yeah. one um, that you bring to the table and so much expertise. I know you've got your new Brain Trust series. You want to give our listeners a quick snippet of what that is and how they can yeah. access it? Yeah, thanks. So I, in January, launched the Growing Trust series, which is going to be a set of meetings, uh, excuse me, a set of workshops that are on demand, accessible. You, you pay for it once and you can have it forevermore. That has basically an overview of how to be a more effective facilitator for organizational change. I have my templates that I use to support specifically online meeting facilitation, but they can be used offline. Um, and it is just a way for you to have access to this, this information and the nuances of it. You know, we just, we just kind of dipped our toe in it today, Kim, but I, I really frame it around the behavioral lens of facilitation. 
Um, and then, you know, going forward, there, there's going to be other series around um, feedback culture <laughs> and, and, you know, strategic planning, like mentally getting prepared for things like that. So all of that's going to be available. And for the, the one that's up right now, the Trust You, 50% is being donated to Women for Women International. Um, Amazing. So it's a great Love way to it. give back. Yeah. Well, I know I'm looking forward to checking it out because it's always a good opportunity to supplement the in-person trainings and get reminders right before a big meeting. I'm actually facilitating a meeting next week. So uh, I will take a quick look into some of those yeah. and feel uber prepared for it. Love it. <laughs> Dallas, as always, such a pleasure to see you and chat with you. Really appreciate you taking the time joining us today. And um, really, let's get more people facilitating better. Let's have these productive yes, meetings. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's going to help. I promise. It's so It feels so rewarding when you walk out of me and you're like, oh, that felt awesome. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Thanks, Dallas. Really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you, Kim. Thank you for joining this episode of SAS Talk with Kim. You can listen to other podcasts in our sustainability action series at sastalkwithkim.com. Remember that action is the key to your community's sustainable future. What will you act on today?